0: Uh, if you have your Bibles, turned to Colossians 2. We're going to read and then pray and walk through the text. And I, I just, as a... If, if the last service is any indication, I hope that you brought your steel-toed boots because we're probably going to have some toes stepped on today, uh, and I just want to name that in advance. I think that Paul um, gives uh, us an open door to ask some really significant questions around specifically things that are holding us captive, uh, philosophies that are holding us captive, and I think that we have an opportunity to look at some things that might be— um, uncomfortable but my hope is that we'll all be uncomfortable which is uh, equal opportunity in every respect so let it be so Lord as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the universe and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh and the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for the Bible We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your words uh, to and through our brother Paul to the church in Colossae. We pray that you would help us to hear these words as being for us. And we pray that you would give us the courage to think about them rather than simply take them at face value and keep them at arm's length. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we started this study in the book of Colossians and I think that this uh, text needs a fresh reading in our day and age. Paul was writing to a young church in Colossae in what is now modern-day Turkey, and they were almost, um, probably almost all former pagans who were trying to live their life as Christians in a world that was hostile to Christian conviction and Christian faith. And so Paul's letter to them was about thinking and living and being Christian. He was saying it's not easy to be Christian when no one outside your community is really hoping for your shalom, and so you have to do the real work to be formed and to engage your life as Christians. And I just think the more I read uh, Colossians, I just think this is a a word from the text of the Bible that is truly timely for us. I believe that there is something really here for us because increasingly as we move into a post-Christian society, um, you are going to have to find out and continually learn. I'm gonna have to learn how to be a Christian, um, not just casually but really, uh, that's really the heart of what Paul is hoping for, what I believe the Holy Spirit is uh, calling for when, when Paul wrote these words and that makes it true for us just as it was for those ancient Christians in what is now modern day Turkey. So we're gonna walk through the text And we're just going to name some significant spaces of something Paul is saying, and then we're going to pause and just think about it a little bit together. Here's the first one. Paul says in longs that Christians in the church would be rooted and built up. And I think that is actually a really important image. It's like the image of a tree with roots that are hidden and fruit and branches that are visible. And Paul says your life should be like that. We live in an era where um, we value almost exclusively that which is built up, that which is big or visible. We live in a world where we're obsessed even with image management and reputation. And what Paul says here, I think, is so instructive. He says this part of your life, the fruit part or the branch part, is really important, but not to the exclusion of the, of the hidden part. And so when Paul uses this imagery of being rooted and built up, he also uses the word be established. What he's saying is I want you to be durable and sturdy because the environment is increasingly not compatible for flourishing. Uh, I don't know what's happened in Georgia, but it's like we live, um, it's raining every day. It's like we live at the beach, but without the beach, it feels horrible. It's like, hot and wet, and we're having trees in our neighborhood are just falling left and right because the ground is so soft. It's like the the ground is so wet, and, and specifically pine trees just don't know what to do with super, super, super wet ground because their their root systems are shallow. I don't know if you've watched a pine tree fall, but it's kind of alarming how small the roots are when they come up. They're not like oak trees. Um, they're, they're shallow. And I believe that, that we're living increasingly in a world that is... Um, prone to knock us over. And the Lord wants us to be hidden and to be visible. And so I just want to say to you, part of being established is that you have a hidden component of your life with God. You have a hidden space, like stuff that goes beneath the surface where you're deep and you're anchored and you're rooted, the stuff nobody sees. And the challenge in our world is that we do want to spend all of our attention on the stuff people see. But without a hiddenness, Without an under the current or an under the surface, a subterranean secret part of your life with God, you won't be, we won't be as durable as we hope and want to be. We'll feel ourselves teetering and toppling at times. We hear a lot in our modern age about some secret transgression. We hear it pastors, uh, politicians, uh, leaders. We think, oh, they were doing something super sketchy and it was secret. Um, I believe that we need to have an imagination for secret virtue, uh, a kind of goodness in our life with God that nobody has to see about or know about. That is how we remain durable. I found myself over the last year and a half praying that God would root me so that I would become more and more durable. Because what happens so often to us is when adversity comes in our lives and we begin to feel the wind or the ground around us getting soft and, and, and turning over, we realize in that moment that we don't maybe have as much root as we want to have. There is no time like the present for you to begin to focus on being rooted and established, built up in your life with God. In the coming months, We are going to be talking more and more about how to encourage you and equip you to live your life with greater and greater intention. Brad said it. We do this Christ-formed into Christ-likeness together and with intentionality. It doesn't just happen by accident. And our commitment to you increasingly is to begin to help you tend to your whole person, your story the power of the Holy Spirit, your life, your postures, your practices, so that we would be increasingly rooted and built up. It is going to require more and more intentionality from us in order to be built up in our faith. Dallas Willer, one of my favorite Christian thinkers of the 20th century, said everyone has a spiritual formation. Some are just intentional and good, and some are unintentional and not very helpful. We want you to be rooted and built up and we're going to do our very best to equip you in that work. We would hope that you would work with the Lord and the Holy Spirit and what it means to be rooted and built up. The second big idea, and I think it's connected to that first one, is Paul says, resist, see to it that no one take you captive through empty philosophy and deceit according to the rulers and the principalities of this world. The second movement is for us to resist, Captivity. I think that text in Paul's words, see to it that no one takes you captive is actually really important because there is a responsibility on our part in that. Colossae was a early breeding ground for the um, the sect and the heresy of Gnosticism. So if you know anything about Gnosticism, it uh, pops up in almost every generation. One of my favorite uh, writers and pastors, Eugene Peterson, said Gnosticism reemerges every generation. Um, Here's Gnosticism for dummies it's escaping reality, the physical, to just get into spiritual non-material spaces. And so the Gnostics believed in the ancient world, we just need to get out of the prison that is our human relationships and our human body and be in a purely spiritual space. Now, There are those of us in this room who struggle with escapism in a manner that's not dissimilar to Gnosticism. If you grew up in the charismatic or the Pentecostal church like I did, Gnosticism was about a sublime experience, escaping reality, knowing something no one else knew, being kind of elite and being at times so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. That was the threat Paul was speaking to in particular. But I believe that in our modern age, while there is some of that, for sure, some of you may be going, oh yeah, that's how I grew up. I know that's for me. For many of us, I believe one of the great things that come to us as a temptation to pull us off and make us captive is what I would call devolving into ideological tribalism, where your ideas find themselves increasingly matching the people you hang out with and then you demonize or reject outright people who you don't quite see eye to eye with tribalism it used to be that we would look at people like al-qaeda or isis or fundamentalist uh, religious people whether they be mormons or christians and we would think that's tribalism and that's not us But increasingly, I think that we are under threat. I would go further and say, I believe this is probably the great spiritual threat that is in front of the church right now regarding our witness in the world around us and our credibility as followers of Jesus. We are, I believe, increasingly seeking homogenous environments to support our own insecurities and therefore rejecting everyone who doesn't see it quite like us. Immanuel Kant, who is a a philosophical thinker and a, a beautiful person, I think, in many respects and some of the stuff that he said, he said this, one, out of the crooked timber of humanity, no straight thing was ever made. Out of the bent timber of humanity, no perfectly straight thing was ever made. I believe that we need to recover an awareness of our sin and our limitations in the way that we see things. Specifically, in 2018, David Brooks, a New York Times columnist said this, the crooked timber, that thing I just said, a bentness, sinful, limited, a crooked timber school of humanity says, the line between good and evil runs through each person and we fight injustice on the basis of our shared or common humanity. The oppressor oppressed morality that we see increasingly today runs along the lines between tribes. And that makes it easy to feel good about yourself, but it makes you very hard to live with. Now, if Brooks said in 2018 that when we don't see the line growing between us, but we see it between us, the good guys, and those, the bad guys, that it makes us hard to live with, what on earth would we be saying and should we be saying in 2022? I believe that this tribalism and one of these vain conceits and places where we get caught in captivity is the religion of the left and the religion of the right. I want to say this to you, and this is, I mean, y'all, some of y'all are going to leave the church over this. I, it's okay because we got to talk about this stuff in church because there's like an elephant in the room and none of us really know how to think or talk about these things if your political party perfectly matches your Christian worldview, something's wrong with that. Like if we've got to swallow it hook, line, and sinker to the exclusion of thinking like Christians, we are of all people to be pitied and no wonder we look like fools to the world outside. For instance, can you be pro-life and care about at-risk pregnancies and taking care and doing things for moms who are in crisis pregnancies, including creating some social safety networks? Can we do both of those things? This Roe v. Wade ruling has come up in the church, and y'all, it is so painful When to align with an ideology, we have to actually move against things that I believe are instinctual and intuitive Christian convictions. Y'all, we need to be people who believe that the life of an unborn child should be defended and protected. And we also need to believe that being people of life doesn't end on the birthing table. These things I don't believe should be mutually exclusive. And yet we live in a world where we feel like we've got to choose one or the other. I would just say what Paul is saying here is that we need to learn how to think like Christians. We need to learn how to be Christian, not Republican or Democrat not whatever your preference in terms of a philosophical ideology for what you do in this area or that area. Our allegiance to Jesus should make us step back and probably not by a party line, hook, line, and sinker. Y'all, I don't think it should be that way. I am pro-life, And I am a person who is increasingly committed to allowing and even desiring that my tax dollars and my volunteer life go to things that would support systems that would care for people who otherwise would be at risk. We gotta take care of what it means to be Christian. And I don't believe that we've done a great job. I don't believe that we have learned how to think about and talk about things that really, really matter. An Atlanta lawyer and activist, Justin Gibney, I, I think I have a crush on, on Justin. Um, he founded the AND campaign. He said, our conviction to help suffering women and children should match our convictions regarding the unborn. And I just want to say, yes. Do I know how that works? no. Do I think that we have to start with belief and conviction and then work toward a reality that is reflective of the kingdom of God? Yes. And if we're gonna be the kind of people who are gonna reject others, y'all, I don't sit for caricature artists because I know what they're gonna do to me. Forehead's getting bigger. My nose is kind of big, you know. I don't, you know pretty skinny legs. Like I know what they're gonna do. They're gonna take your most vulnerable feature and blow it up beyond all proportion. And as long as you do that, you never have to take another person seriously. If you're a Republican in this room, can you acknowledge that there are some gaps in your party platform? And that the Democrats may have something to say about some of it. If you're a Democrat today, can you acknowledge that there are some gaps in your party platform? That those things, these two parties are not synonymous with the kingdom of God. They are just not. They're made of crooked timber. And yet God says, I want you to be rooted and built up and I want you to reject everything that is not Christian. And this should make us a little bit peculiar. Like if you don't have people thinking, man, she is marching to the beat of a drummer that makes me feel a little uncomfortable. I don't really know how to nail her down. Then you're probably not leaning into your identity as a kingdom person to the extent that you could. We should make people feel a little bit uncomfortable because they may not know where we're headed with something. I don't mean be weird for the sake of being weird. I just mean like you should be somewhat unpredictable relative to party lines. You should. And I would submit at the risk of offending you that if you can't consider that, I believe you're probably being held captive by a vain ideology. So just hold it, just, it's not me. I mean, just, just think about that. The next thing Paul talks about, and there's no coincidence here, are baptism and circumcision. What he's saying here is both baptism and circumcision marked Christians and Jews as belonging to a new family what he's saying is you must be, we must be marked as belonging to a new family. You will never, ever, ever, if you belong to Jesus, totally fit in with all the other families, you just won't. And our, sometimes our desire to be included and accepted and to find uh, support and solidarity means that we forfeit the job that we all have to think like Christians, to step into these spaces and go, wait a minute, Jesus is saying something bigger than what they're saying or what they're saying. Will we have the courage to do that? And I think if we're only half in, we will not have the courage to do it. If we're not serious about this, it'll just cost us too much. When Jews and Christians were baptized, when they were circumcised, they were told this marks you to belong to a new family and implicitly it means you don't belong to all these other families. What Paul is saying here about vain ideology, about all the competing loyalties, about all these things, he's saying, you don't belong to that family. You belong to a new family. And I believe that this needs a fresh hearing for us. This idea of baptism, the word in the Greek language for baptized, baptizo means to fundamentally change. It was used in cooking when they would uh, pickle vegetables, they were baptizo, they were baptized. It was used when fabrics would be dyed, like permanently changed culture. There was another word in the Greek language, babto, which just meant dip. Get it wet, wash it off. We need to be baptizoed, not baptoed. God wants to change us from the inside out. He wants us to start thinking like Christians in new ways. He wants you to be willing to challenge old belief systems that may not be very Christian so that you begin to think like a Christian and be an increasingly peculiar person to those around you. As we move into post-Christendom, being Christian is going to increasingly not be cool or easy or fall along party lines. We're going to have to start thinking like a Christian and be marked by a new family. I believe that this new family is actually calling for us to belong in a way that God will get glory and do really good things because we'll all of a sudden be thoughtful in ways that maybe we haven't been. I've never asked a fish, but I don't think they know they're wet. I don't know that we know how wet we are. I think we just swim in these waters and we stop asking the question, what is the Lord asking me to do? How is the Lord asking me to engage? What does it mean to be Christian right now? What does it mean for us to be Christian as we think about the issues facing our world? You can do better than being a Republican or a Democrat in the way your Christian worldview is shaped. You can do better than that. Be a Republican or a Democrat, but don't confuse it with Christianity. Don't confuse it with your worldview. Please don't. I think it's insulting to the God of the universe. I'm registered for one of those parties. I don't always vote for that party. I go back and forth. So I'm not saying be apolitical. I'm just saying don't confuse it with Christianity. Here's the last thing. God has made you alive together with him. Do you see this? This is brilliant. Paul's on a roll. I just want you to have roots. I want you to reject and see to it that you don't get taken captive. I want you to be marked in this family. And then he says, If you walk this out, you will be made alive together with Jesus. You will not be alone. You will not do this on your own strength. You will have the life in you. So you might ask the question, how is it that we are made alive together with him? I'm so glad you asked. Paul says two things. You have a deep awareness of the fact that you're forgiven and the record of shame written against you because of your transgressions gets erased forgiveness, and the removal of shame. That's how we become fully alive. What would your life look like if you knew in your bones that you were forgiven and the shame of your failures no longer hung over your head like a cloud? We, we come into this room carrying all kinds of stuff. Our faults, our failures, our, our misses, our mistakes, the ways we've hurt ourselves and one another. And what God says here is that being truly alive with Jesus means you know you're forgiven and that you're not increasingly bound by shame. Oh my gosh, what would your life look like? What would my life look like if I was free, if I knew that I was loved and free and forgiven? Oh my goodness. We'd be, we'd be a lot more attractive to the world around us. We would actually have the courage to not just constantly read the wind in terms of saying what we think other people want us to say but think like Christians and say some stuff that might make ourselves and other people feel uncomfortable. We'd be free. He wants you and me to be free. And the text ends in a very Roman way. Romans would take vanquished enemies and parade them through the streets and just like humiliate them. And Paul took that image and he said, that's what Jesus did to the stuff that holds you back. He takes it through the streets and just humiliates it. He takes all of its power and just destroys the power so that you would realize the thing you used to be afraid of is just being mocked. Jesus mocks the thing that you're afraid of, the thing that's hold, holding you captive. That's what he did at the cross. He did something to make you free. I'm sweating a little. We're gonna be still now. And I'm gonna ask you to consider something maybe that's hard to consider. I'm gonna ask you to spend a few moments reflecting on where God is inviting you to resist captivity. And, I, and, you know, there, there are a couple of potential outcomes here. I mean, if you're offended, um, it may be that I'm just kind of like a butt. I mean, it could totally be that. I have been told that before. That is for sure possible. But it could be that there's something at play that's being bumped up against and you're feeling uncomfortable. And I don't know which one it is, but I want you to think about it. I want you to, to wrestle where am I triggered and is there a place of captivity? And we won't get to the bottom of this in in a couple of minutes of silence, but we can start. So I want you to ask this question, where is God inviting you to resist captivity? And be as specific as you can. We're going to spend a couple of moments in silent reflection, and then I'll come and lead us to communion. Uh, It's good to eat communion after being challenged by the word. So that's what we're going to do. So let's be still just for a few moments. If we're able, let's stand together.